0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Mount Calvary Church. My name is Jonathan Whitmer. I'm the executive pastor here, and we're glad that uh, you've chosen to spend your Sunday morning with us. Whether you've been here a long time or you're new to our family, we're grateful. We're grateful that we can gather here this morning, lift our voices, praising our Savior, and open up his word to be challenged to be more like you uh, before we get started, I just want to briefly say thank you uh, for all of you who have sent cards and prayed and, and showed your care for me as I've recovered from uh, my ankle surgery. We are overwhelmed uh, by your kindness. Uh, the joke around my house was my wife had two six-year-olds at home, it seems like, taking care of Wesley and me, uh, but uh, we are just amazed and grateful for the outpouring of love and care that you've shown me, and hopefully, Lord willing, next Sunday you won't see me with any crutches. Uh, So I have a doctor's appointment this week, and hopefully things are going well. Well, if you were here last week, we celebrated uh, an important uh, uh, milestone in our church's history. We bought uh, Mill Road Elementary uh, to expand our school ministry. Uh, We didn't buy another building this week. Adam is grateful for that. Uh, But we do want to celebrate just a few things. Uh, uh, On Sunday afternoon, we packed 467 Operation Christmas Child boxes. That's 467 opportunities for kids to to get a Christmas gift, but ultimately to hear about the greatest gift, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're super excited about that. We need about $1,000 more to help cover shipping of those gifts. So if you're interested in giving to that, that would be great. Um, uh, on Wednesday of this past week, our New Horizons ministry, a new ministry we started for 50-plus, uh, met with uh, someone from Echoes, our local winter shelter, and they packed 300 to-go uh, lunches for people leaving the winter shelter that they could use and, and this winter, and so we were grateful for that. And this weekend, uh, 42 of our high school students are with Pastor Joe and his team on a retreat. I guess it's a winter retreat. There's snow there. It's cold, and so, uh, but they're heading back uh, today. But uh, we're just grateful for the opportunity that they have to go and learn and be challenged to be more like Jesus. And so join with me in prayer as we uh, celebrate these things and just uh, commit our time to the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing here at Mount Calvary. We just pause and recognize that it's all because of you. It's your grace your goodness and uh, and we just we just say thank you thank you for what you're doing thank you for these shoe boxes that we get to pack and that we get to send all over the world to kids and Lord as they're given and as the gospel is shared we pray that kids would put their faith and trust in you thank you for these lunches that we packed this week and and for the winter shelter and may they be used just to, to minister to people this winter in difficult circumstances and thank you for our 42 high school students that are on, on away this weekend for a retreat. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with Pastor Joe and his team as they speak and encourage and spend time uh, in small groups, that you would use this time to draw uh, those kids to closer to you. And now, Lord, we just thank you for our time together in your word. We're thankful that your word is alive and active, can pierce our hearts, transform our lives. And Lord, that's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, want to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 26. We'll be camping out in 1 Samuel 26 this morning. And as you turn there, uh, I have a question for you. How many of you are familiar with the CBS show Survivor? How many of you are familiar with Survivor? You should be. Uh, It's on its 43rd season this fall, 43 seasons of Survivor. They are in uh, the beautiful islands of Fiji, I don't know about you, but this cold weather that we've had this week, I could stand to be in the warm weather of Fiji. Maybe not the crazy competitions, but uh, Survivor, there's 18 castaways divided into three teams. They compete in all these crazy uh, events and activities. It was a youth pastor's dream. We watched Survivor and we're like, how do they get all these great ideas for games? How do they pull this all off? And then I'm like, they have a big staff. That's, that's all that they do. Jealous of that as a youth pastor but they compete in all these crazy games and and the losing team, the losing tribe has to go to tribal council, right? And someone is voted off the island. Someone's voted off the island. And so all participants have the same goal, to outwit and outplay and outlast each other and become the sole survivor, winning the million dollars. So many people tune in on Wednesday nights to see the next great adventure, the next uh, amazing games that they're playing. And when you tune in on Wednesday night, you don't want to see a rerun. You want to see something new and something exciting. Well, in some ways, in our study in 1 Samuel, we've seen David in his own season of survivor, trying to outrun and outlast Saul and become the next king of Israel. And we come to chapter 26, and some of you might be saying, wait a minute, I think we hit a rerun. Like, we've talked about this already. He's been in a similar situation. Saul is chasing David again, and David finds Saul in a helpless situation, and David spares his life. And while the situations are similar in 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26, they are different stories. In 1 Samuel 24, remember, we find Saul in the bathroom in the midst of David's men in the cave of Engedi. And here in 1 Samuel 26, we find David finding Saul asleep in the midst of Saul's camp in the wilderness of Ziph. So as we begin to look at this chapter, I think it's important for us to understand the characters and the context of what we're looking at. And so join with me, starting at verse 1, as we read a few verses. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hekelah? which is on the east of Yeshumon. So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakela, which is beside the road on the east of Yeshumon. But David remained in the wilderness. And when he saw that Saul had came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, with Abner, son of Ner, the commander of his army. And Saul was lying within the encampment while his army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Job's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? So let's first kind of look at the circumstances of what's happening here. I have a map to show you kind of as we walk through some of the Scenes that they're in and some of the people that we, that we find here in the beginning of the chapter. And first, we see the Ziphites. We've seen them before in 1 Samuel 23. They went to Saul before in that chapter to tell him of the location of David. Uh, they are team Saul all the way. Matter of fact, David writes about them in Psalm 54.3, saying, For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They did not set God before themselves. They were cruel men. They didn't respect or follow after God. They didn't like David. And their intel in, in 1 Samuel 23 almost helped Saul capture David previously. But at the last moment, the Philistines invaded the land and Saul had to go and fight them. So David escaped. But here in 1 Samuel 26, they're up to their old schemes again. They go to Saul and tell him where David is hiding out. They're kind of like the annoying kid that was in your elementary school class that always snitched on the classmates, right? Uh, Wesley would come home from school last year uh, and talk about one of his classmates that was always trying to tattle on other, the other classmates. And Mrs. Hilsher, being a veteran teacher that she is, used to kids in elementary school that this happened, she would tell her students to M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. Mind your own business. I think at this moment, uh, the Ziphites are kind of like that kid in in your elementary school class that's always tattling, always tattling on David. And David just wants to tell them, M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. But they go to Saul at Gibeah, his hometown, where he's reigned for 22 years. You see it there on the map on the top. uh, And tell him exactly where David is hiding, David's hiding himself on the hill of Hakala, which is on the east side of Yeshimon. Yeshimon's probably not a proper name. It's a word that means wasteland or wilderness, and it's believed to be the desert or wilderness bordering the western shores of the Dead Sea near En-Gedi. And you can see En-Gedi there. So Saul is in in Gibeah. David's down near En-Gedi. And Saul takes 3,000 men, and he chases after David. He goes 25 miles down to the wilderness of Ziph. Now, David saw what Saul was up to. I mean, when you have 3,000 men, it's kind of, hide, kind of hard to hide what you're doing. And they, they marched into the wilderness as big as, you could, as big as you please for all to see. And while they marched into the wilderness, David's in that same wilderness hiding. They're kind of in stealth mode, hiding, not trying to be found out by anybody. But David now knows Saul's in the neighborhood The 3,000 men marched in for everyone to see, so he sends out some spies on a reconnaissance mission to get some specific intel, to find out where is Saul camped out. We also see another character in our story, Abner. He's Saul's cousin. He's the commander of Saul's army. He's Saul's right-hand guy. And we've seen Abner before in our study of 1 Samuel. Don't know if you remember, when David defeated Goliath, Abner, the commander, brought David to Saul after that great victory. And then we see Ahimelech the Hittite. He was probably a foreigner who joined David's band of men, and not too much is known about him. This is the only time that he's mentioned in Scripture. And finally, we see Abishai. He and Job were sons of David's sister Zeruiah, and Abishai is one of David's warriors. And in 2 Samuel, we'll see that he becomes the leader of David's mighty men. And so this is kind of the circumstances and the characters and the context of what's happening here in this chapter. And so then we see a very specific covert operation starting at verse six. Then David said to Himelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment and with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he'll go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that's at his head and the jar of water and let's go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. And no man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep Because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. David's spies have found the location of Saul and his army of 3,000 men camping near them near the hill of Hakkalah. David was notified of the location, and by the dark of night, David goes to check out the scene. He wants to see it for himself. And there he finds Saul asleep with Abner by his side and the army encamped around him asleep. And after assessing the situation, David has an idea. David comes up with a plan of attack, plan of action, and he invites Ahimelech, the Hittite, or Abishai to join him. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems like the perfect opportunity for a tip-of-the-spear operation, right? Those operations that are so difficult and so challenging that you get the best of the best. The Navy SEALs, the Green Berets, the Army Rangers to go and and go on a dangerous mission and a difficult mission that no one else could do. You get the best of the best. So David says, hey, who will go down with me to the camp? Who will go down to the camp of Saul? And Himalake the Hittite says, nope, not me. And we don't hear anything about him ever again. But Abishai says, "Hey, I'm not doing anything. Sounds like a good idea, and probably thinking that hey, this is going to be some kind of daring raid by the dark of night, and uh, and we'll have a great victory." So by themselves, David and Abishai sneak down the hill into the camp, and they approach Saul and Abner, who are not by themselves again. Remember, they're surrounded by three thousand men sleeping. So as far as a sound military operation goes, this doesn't seem like it, does it? This doesn't seem like a wise idea. This is 2 versus 3002. Not great odds. Who, Who came up with this idea? Well, it was David. David's idea. And he was in charge, and so they just went along with it. So they successfully navigate their way through the army encampment, and they find themselves standing next to sleeping Saul, and sleeping Abner. And Abishai, he sees the spear stuck in the ground and he's getting excited. He's like, This is the moment. This is the moment that will change your life, David, from running to royalty. We've hit the jackpot, we've hit the lottery. Then Abishai said to David in verse 8 God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. It won't take me two times. Abishai sees the opportunity to end all the trouble that Saul has caused David. and In his excitement, he proclaims, hey, God has given your enemy into your hands this day. I wonder if the situation caused David to flash back to another situation. David heard these words before. In 1 Samuel 24, his men in the cave said the same thing. God has given your enemy into your hands. And Abishai's words are very similar to David's men in the cave in 1 Samuel 24. But in this instance, Abishai offers to do the dirty work. He says, David, let me take care of it. Let me grab the spear, and just with one thrust of the spear, all your problems will be gone. Saul will be dead. It won't take me two times. At the mention of the spear, I'm sure David's flooded with emotions. He has to remember Saul's spear, and they're not great memories. They're not memories that you want to really remember. On two previous occasions, in 1 Samuel 18 and 1 Samuel 19, David has come face to face with Saul's spear. The spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and it was now with David. And David went out to battle against the Philistines, and God gave him a great victory. And he came back to a victor's parade, and everybody's singing about him. And Saul was angry. A spirit, An evil spirit of jealousy and hatred and fear had fallen upon Saul because they were celebrating David. And so as David innocently played the lyre in, his, in, in the house, Saul twice, on two different occasions, threw the spear at David trying to kill him. At this moment, David is faced with the decision in the dark of night. Do I seek revenge or do I do what's right? And there, in the dark of night, our students are on on a retreat and they're in the middle of nowhere. And the one thing that when we always go on retreats like that, they'd be like, it's really dark out here because there's no lights But in the middle of the dark of night, David lets his light shine. He chooses not revenge, but chooses to do what's right. Chooses to trust God's plan. Chooses to trust God that he has a good plan. And he tells Abishai in verse nine, don't destroy him. Don't destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? If you remember in 1 Samuel 24 in the cave, David, David was tempted to take matters into his own hands, and so he snuck up to Saul, and he cut off the corner of his robe, his robe representing his authority, his royalty. And at, at the moment he did this, David was convicted that he was wrong. But in this situation, he says no to temptation, and he decides to do what's right and wait on God's timing. He goes on in verse 10 and says, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he'll go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Last week in 1 Samuel 25, we see a careless David, don't we? We see a careless David that is furious with Nabal and wants to take matters into his own hands and wants to go kill Nabal, and we see a brave Abigail intervene and stop him. And about 10 days later, God struck the foolish Nabal dead. But here, in chapter 26, we see a restrained David who wisely realizes God will handle Saul's destiny. It's not up to me. It's not my job. He's a man of conviction and not convenience. He waits. Saul's life is in God's hands. He says, hey, you know what? He can die naturally naturally. God can take his life or he can fall in battle, but that's between him and God. It's not up to me. And throughout our study in 1 Samuel, David's been learning. He's been learning that God will bring about his will, his way. God through Samuel anointed Saul to be the first king of Israel. And then again, God through Samuel anointed and chose David to be the next king of Israel. And David knew God was in control and that the time of leadership transition was up to God, not up to him. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to teach Fusion at 9 o'clock uh, for our kindergartens through third grade. And Melissa and her teaching team made a decision this year to switch to a new curriculum, the, Bible, the, the Gospel Project. And it's walking our kids through the Bible. And, and my week, I was talking about the story of Abraham from Genesis. And the main point of my lesson was answering the question... Who is in control of everything? And the answer is God is in control of everything, in heaven and on earth, and nothing is outside of God's good plan. That's true with Abraham in Genesis. It's true with David and 1 Samuel, and it's true of us today. God is in control of everything in heaven and on earth, and nothing is outside of God's good plan. So David shows amazing restraint. He shows amazing respect. He decides to trust God and let God handle the royal transition in his time. He was confident in God and content to wait for God to work out his will. So David says to Abishai in verse 11, But take now the spear that's at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. And no man saw it, or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. David doesn't seek revenge, but he chooses to do what is right. He tells Abishai, we are not taking Saul's life tonight. We're just going to take his stuff. We take his spear. We take his water jug. That's all that we're doing. And while David trusts God, In these two verses, it doesn't quite seem like he trusts Abishai. He first tells Abishai, hey, you go get the spear. You go get the water jug. But then we see David's the one that grabs it. I think David's probably worried that Abishai would give in to temptation. He was a little too eager to volunteer to kill Saul in the first place. And so he's like, you know what? Maybe it's not a good idea for you to get the spear. I'll grab it. I'll grab it and take it. And so they safely escape the encampment with Saul's equipment, and they make their way out because God had caused all the army to fall asleep. God protected the current king that night and the future king. And so this covert operation leads to a conversation and a confession and conclusion. verse 13, David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill, with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, son of Nur, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your Lord the king? For one of the people came to destroy the king, your Lord. The thing that you've done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you've not kept watch over your Lord the Lord's anointed. Now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. David starts a conversation with Abner. David's put some space between him and Saul's army. Uh, He was far enough to be safe, but close enough to be heard. And he calls out in the middle of the night. And Abner awakes, and I'm sure that he's a little bit disoriented. Anybody, you have any early risers at your house? Uh, We have one. He's six years old. And he wakes up and he's ready to talk. I mean, he just wakes up, and he's instantly talking. So we're often woken by mommy, daddy, and then a constant flood of words. This morning, I was brushing my teeth at six o'clock in the morning, and he's talking to me about Minecraft. Who cares about Minecraft at six o'clock in the morning? But he gets really frustrated. He jumps right into a conversation, and he gets frustrated if you don't respond. And oftentimes, we're like, hey, buddy, give me a moment, I just woke up. Now, I'm an early riser, but I'm an early riser that's not ready to use their words to like two hours later. And, and, and so I like getting up early, but I like getting up early, not having to talk to anybody and, and just get, being productive. But that's not Wesley. Yeah, I mean, he just wants to talk. And so, uh, and so we often are awoken, a little disoriented about this conversation that's happening. And that's Abner here. He's waking up, and, and, and David's talking, and he doesn't recognize who's talking to him. He asks, hey, who's shouting at the king? Who woke me up? Who's shouting? And David doesn't bother to reveal his identity. He goes right to it. And man, he goes hard after Abner, doesn't he? I mean, he goes right at him. He says, Abner, you are a failure. You're a lousy commander. You have not properly protected the king. You were asleep at your post. You didn't guard the king. And the punishment for you and all your men deserve is death. It's ironic that while Abner slept, David did a better job protecting Saul's life than Abner did. David's the one that protected the king. It wasn't Abner, his right-hand guy. And to prove Abner's failure, I mean, David's just letting him have it. And he's like, and just to prove it, hey, where's his spear and his water jug? And at that moment, I'm sure Abner looks and he's probably like, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble Hopefully, Saul doesn't wake up. Hopefully, they can resolve this before he wakes up. Uh, but Saul and Abner and the 3,000 troops, they've been humbled by David. It's another kind of David versus Goliath type upset. Two versus 3002. And from both scenarios, you know what do we learn? We learn that you're never an underdog, you're never alone when God is on your side. And so David moves on from his conversation with Abner, and he has his last conversation with Saul. All this shouting back and forth that Abner wakes up Saul in verse 17. Saul recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son David? And David said, it is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, why does my lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant, If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Saul finally awakes and he calls out his I think that's you, David. Is that your voice? David, my son? Saul being diplomatic here. Finally, the voice in the uh, night is identified, and David responds right away respectfully. Look how he addresses the king. It is my voice, my lord, O king. Knowing he has Saul's attention, David politely asks Saul, hey, why are you still pursuing me? I thought we got this all worked out at the end of 1 Samuel 24. I thought we were good, I thought we had it all figured out. Why are you still pursuing me? I love David's humble posture here, his humble heart. He knows he's a sinner at heart. He knows Saul is in the wrong, but he wants to see if maybe he's done something Maybe he sinned against Saul, causing Saul to be angry and chasing him. He doesn't want to overlook that possibility. And so he says, why does my Lord pursue his servant? David's words matched his life. He's he's been content with his position. He's loyally served the king time and time and time again. He's never looked for an opportunity to seize Saul's power prematurely. But again, he wants to make sure that he's not been in sin, that he's not been wrong. And so he says, what evil is on my hands? Saul, so have I done anything wrong towards you? David says if Saul's pursuit of him is because it's the judgment of God of, uh, because of his sin, then, then he wants to make it right. He wants to be forgiven. He wants to go and offer a, an offering of, of atonement But he says, but hey, if Saul's pursuit of me is because of wicked counsel from evil men, then David wants them cursed. It's pretty harsh. Why does he say that? Because Saul's unrelenting hunt for David has driven David out of the Lord's heritage, the Lord's inheritance, the promised land. He is no longer in the promised land. He's in pagan nations with other gods. And, and Saul's pursuit of him has taken, from the pres- taken him from the presence of the Lord, keeping him from enjoying public worship at the tabernacle. And yes, the Spirit of the Lord is with David. But he's not been able to be in his home country, worshiping with his people, and worshiping the one true God at the tabernacle. Corporate worship was a priority to David, and he missed it. And it pained him that he no longer had the opportunity to come together and worship with God's people. What about us? Is corporate worship a priority for us? I don't know about you, but I love to come together and lift our voices, singing praises to our God. I love it as we get to come as a community and, and, and be taught from God's word. Is it a priority from our family? Does it pain us to miss our opportunities together? Gathering with God's people for public worship It was crucial for David. And Saul's chasing him, denied him the opportunity, and he was broken hearted. David says, I'm missing out on all of this. That's why he was mad if evil men gave Saul bad information. And finally, David tells Saul, the mighty king of Israel, hey, I'm no threat to you. I'm no threat to you. I've not been chasing you. You've been chasing me. And I'm just like a lowly flea. I'm just like a partridge being hunted in the mountains. I am no threat to you, Saul. And from this last conversation between Saul and David, we see uh, Saul confessing again. In verse 21, Saul says, I've sinned. Return, my son, David, for I will no more do you harm. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I've acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of your young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight So may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them all. So David went away, and Saul returned to his place. Saul speaks. He makes it clear. He's the one who sinned. But before we celebrate, before we celebrate and think David is safe, remember this happened before in 1 Samuel 24. And David's a little more wiser this time. He's, he's a little more wiser. He doesn't quite trust uh, tr- trust Saul. And so Saul wants David to return with him. He says, hey, come back to me, my son. But David says, nope, you, don't, you didn't earn my trust. I'm not coming back with you. I'll just give you your stuff back. Send a guy to come get it. So David protected himself and wisely gives him back the spear, but doesn't take it to Saul. And Saul concludes his last conversation with David by conferring a blessing on him. Saul wishes him nothing but success in all the things. Saul says, David, hey, you know, God bless you in everything that you do. You're going to be successful in everything that you do. And that's the end of their conversation. They part ways Their their paths never cross. They don't have another conversation. But before we close this chapter in 1 Samuel and the chapter of Saul and David and their relationship, I think we need to look at what God has been teaching David. If you look at verses 23 and 24 again, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may He deliver me out of all tribulation. David is indwelt and empowered by the Spirit of the Lord. He has a genuine relationship with God, and though the circumstances of his life were challenging, and he struggled, he didn't always make the right choices. He struggled, and, he, and, and it was something he had to learn. But he was after th- through the struggles and through his learning, he chose to be faithful, and to do what's right. David realized, hey, you know what? It's not up to me to judge or reward Saul for his sin, and it's not up to me to determine when Saul's rule would end. That's between him and God, and I don't need to get involved with that. Following God with character and a clear conscience was more important to David than the crown. He's like, you know, no matter what, I'm going to choose to do what's right. Richard Phillips said this, David can only conclude by placing matters into God's hands reminding Saul that he'll reap what he sows. David's reward for his good faith and obedience to God's word was not relief from Saul's malicious pursuit, but rather a clean conscience before God and a resolved faith in God's vindication. David has struggled, and we've seen him as we've kind of marched through 1 Samuel. He's not always made the best choices. His faith always didn't shine brightly, but he's learned. He's trusted in the Lord. He's grown in his relationship with God. And David believed that God was sovereign and he refused to take shortcuts. He believed that his life was precious to God and that God would keep his promises. He refused to take matters into his own hand and kill Saul because of the sin. Instead, he was faithful to God. He chose to act righteously. He chose not to seek revenge and he chose to wait on God's good plan. So what do we learn from David? I mean, We've seen him interact with Saul all these chapters. What do we learn from David? I think we learn two important things as we close. First, we learn we can trust God in challenging times, being content where he currently has us because he is with us. God is with us. You know what? Many in our church family recently have faced some difficult times, Waiting, waiting for some health diagnosis, waiting for some procedures, difficult situations at work, difficult job opportunities, and and, and waiting for different opportunities. And and, and through all the difficulties, I've been encouraged. I've been encouraged as, as you have relied on God during those difficult times, as you've realized that he is with you and he will provide for you as only he can. David wasn't alone on the battlefield with Goliath. He wasn't alone in the cave with Saul. He wasn't alone when he was in the midst of Saul's uh, men uh, on the hill. God was with him. In the good times of victory, and in the times that he was running in the wilderness for his life, God was with him, and God was with us too. And I hope you'll join us next Sunday as we start our series in Advent, as we celebrate uh, the fact that, that we have a Savior who came to earth, God with us. He is with us today. No matter what situation we're facing, he is with us. We have, a, we have a, a, a one true king who loves us and doesn't abandon us, but helps us even difficult times. And because of that, we have hope. And so the first thing, we can trust God in challenging times, being content where he currently has us because God is with us. We are not alone. And the second thing is we can rely on God's word, faithfully doing what's right as we wait for him to work at work out his will, his way. Our lives are precious in the sight of God. He cares about us. He cares how we live our lives. And God's will for our lives is is one thing is for sure. He wants us to obey his word. He wants us to live out our faith in a practical way uh, so that other people see there's something different about us. Because of our relationship with Jesus, because he's transformed our life, he calls us to rely and obey his word. He's calling us to be faithful and do what's right. We're going to close our service this morning singing, I Will Wait For You. And this song, I think, really summarizes these two points very, very clearly. So as we sing this song, I hope that we can be encouraged and celebrate the fact that we have a a king, a one true king who came and is with us, no matter what we're facing. And we can trust him. And in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the difficulties, we just need to rely on him and choose to obey him. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had to, to spend some time looking at it. Thank you for David and the fact that, uh, that we've watched him over these last few weeks struggle and learn and grow and, and, and choose to do the right thing, even in difficult circumstances. And Lord, you know that we often face difficult circumstances, that we face challenges. And oftentimes we are tempted to take matters into our own hands. We're tempted to uh, to not follow you, but follow after our sinful hearts. So Lord, help us to learn from David. Help us to realize that no matter what we're facing, you're with us. Help us to realize that that you're calling us to do right, to rely on your word, to step out in faith and trust and recognize you'll work out your will in your way. Father, may this song be our prayer, our cry. Help us to live it out in your name. Amen.